Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio two, podcast studio two, because we had to make some alterations as as our guests and I were talking here. We've got two studios here at the office, but I've got a special guest with us today on the podcast coming to us all the way from the north, from our friends up in Canada, just outside Toronto, Gordon Townley. Welcome to the Project Purple Podcast. And we'll call you Gord because we're friends, but I know (laughs) formally we want to call you Gordon. Yes, you can call me anything really that you'd like. Well, thanks very much. It's uh, it's a delight to be here and uh, thanks for inviting me on. Well, I'm excited. Uh, I know, I believe you came. I So this is, and I know we didn't talk about this before we hit record, but so we've got a couple people on the team here at Project Purple that help with the podcast. And so sometimes I find guests via social media, sometimes producer Sam finds guests, and now we've got some summer interns working with us. So they're nice. out kind of scavenging the internet and social media, trying to find guests that they feel, you know, would be a good fit for the podcast. So full disclosure, I think it was producer Sam. I'll give him credit on this. Uh, he does a great job uh, with the podcast. I believe he found you. So, but when he, he sent over your bio, I was like, oh, this is so awesome because I love having partners on. We've had partners on and I say partners, someone in the pancreatic cancer space, raising awareness. Uh, but then I started to kind of dig into your story and it was like so cool. Uh, and you've got kind of a personal connection to this and why you're doing what you're doing. So I'm really excited to have you on. So thanks for making the time. Um, and with that, Gord, this is kind of the segment, as I mentioned before we record, where we hand over the mic to our guests to share kind of what brings them to the podcast today with our audience. And as I said, you can go as far back as you want. You can stay as high level as you want. I will be taking notes. Uh, but with that, the mic is yours. Thanks, Dina. I, I wonder if there's a skill testing questions at the end. I'll make sure I'm paying attention to myself because I can't I can go on. Anyway, yeah, so I'm, I'm Gordon Townley, um, based just outside of Toronto. Uh, we run a cycling event, um, a bit of a mammoth cycling event. I don't mean mammoth in terms of number of people. I just means in terms of sheer effort for people to participate. And it's called Seven Days in May. Uh, no tie into the movie. Uh, there's a... Uh, a country rock group in Canada called, um, well, I was going to say Blue Peter. It's not Blue Peter. It's a different thing. Blue Rodeo. And they have a song called Five Days in May. And when I used to do my cycling spinning, I often listened to that song. And um, way back uh, when we came up with the name, they were sort of the inspiration. Anyway, our, our background story is uh, my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2009. I'd actually known a few people who had been diagnosed and uh, unfortunately lost their battle prior to that. So I had to go through the process with my mom. She actually underwent the uh, surgery, the surgery to help uh, extend life called the Whipple procedure. Uh, in uh, January of 2010, she was diagnosed in um, December 2009. And then uh, went through the treatments, uh, the chemo treatments and the cycles. And uh, she just had done all the things properly that she was supposed to do. In 2011, she was given the clean bill of health. And I remember it because it actually was on my birthday. And if you have an 80 plus year old mother, uh, you know, uh, the big place to go celebrate that, at least in Canada, is a restaurant chain called Swiss Chalet. <laughs> think, think of, uh, I'm trying to go something good comparable, but anyway, it's it's uh, a budget chicken place, but it's very good. Anyway, Maybe so Kentucky we had, Fried uh, Chicken, KFC uh, here up, in the States. But not yeah. a whole bunch. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, so we celebrated with her clear diagnosis, uh, and that would that's middle of August, 2011, and. Uh, We'd been going back and forth. I have two sisters and we'd all been sharing in the uh, helping her with the treatments and taking her to the chemo sessions and all that fun stuff. So uh, she asked to have a couple of weeks break away from us, which I understand. And we saw her again on Labor Day uh, and she didn't seem quite right. And we monitored, monitored her through September. And of course, Canadian Thanksgiving is in early October and she was over at my sister's place and she really wasn't white. She'd started to bloat and um, looked like things were back, got her back in to see her doctors. And then she was given her uh, her final prognosis on Halloween evening that she was given a chance, uh, maybe two weeks. And of course, if you ever knew my mother, she lived those 14 days to the day. And on November 14th, uh, 2011, she died. Uh, and it was fine because we all had a chance to say farewell. And I, mean, I know you've got a personal connection to Pancan too. So you know what that's like if, when, once people start down that, um, that final path. And it was, it was nice because the family came together and we wished her well. But after that, I was trying to think um, what we could do to help because uh, as you and I talked about beforehand, it's such a drastically underfunded uh, cancer and cancer research. In the, in the Canadian market uh, at the time in 2011, less than 2% of general can uh, cancer funding went to pancreatic cancer. And there was lots of big events. Um, the, the, a very massive cycling event uh, in Toronto called the Ride to Conquer Cancer, which raises like $20 million a year. But when I looked at it, I couldn't even choose an option to uh, have it go to pancreatic cancer. So I thought, well, that's enough of that. Let's, let's make it uh, dedicated to pancreatic cancer. Um, I had a brother-in-law who... Um, the year before had ridden across Canada with the kids cancer ride, which was really cool and inspiring. So I reached out to him and asked him if we were going to do something that was challenging and monumental, and a little different from the other things, uh, what could we do? What, what challenging ride would you like to do? And, and he said, you know, I've always wanted to ride around Lake Ontario. So uh, that that's sort of what formed our thing. So we, we created a route around Lake Ontario, a quick, Facebook poll told me that seven days was the number of days people could do. And in 2012, in early May, a small, small group of us, because we could entice a lot of people to join us that first year, uh, did that ride. And then it's kind of grown ever since. So from 2012 up until this year, 2022, um, it's been a single year event. We fought our way through the pandemic, just like everybody else. Uh, 2021 was a virtual event. 2020 was a controlled uh, event 2022 was back in person and it was fabulous we just wrapped that up on june 3rd and uh, for us it was our single largest year of fundraising we raised we will have raised over 300,000 once i let the cat out of the bag we're just doing that magic tallying before uh, which brings us to a lifetime total of about 1.4 million and uh, it, given a single event it, it's kind of created some momentum in, in the canadian place uh, we've become pancreatic cancer canada foundation's largest independent fundraiser so we're pretty proud of that and we're happy to see where things are going and the awareness and all that fine stuff. So that, that's sort of in a nutshell is uh, the story behind it. So you must know my good friend, Michelle Capabianco pretty well. I then, know Michelle very, very well. Yes. Yes. So I, love Michelle. I know she's got her own battle at the moment. Um, yeah. Yeah. But she's, Shout but out she's to doing me. quite well and yeah, for sure. Uh, and Michelle's doing very well. She joined us at the beginning and at the end and we saw her um, through the week a few times too. So she and her team, uh, Gave us a ton of help and uh, have incredible cheerleaders to uh, to work with. 
Wow. So awesome. So I, I got so many questions here as I was taking notes and, uh, I just wanted to throw that, that thing in there. Cause I, Michelle and I have become, uh, good friends. I would say it's actually the irony. I just talked to Michelle, uh, recently support her in her fight. If she's listening, hopefully she is. Uh, but I also just had someone, um, who listened to a podcast, believe it or not, Gord, uh, from Canada, whose grandmother was going through, uh, some challenges with pancreatic cancer and they needed a referral into, uh, I think it was, uh, I don't know if it was Montreal or, uh, somewhere in Ontario. And, um, as much as, you know, we, we do support groups from all over and everything. Um, I just felt it was best to, uh, to get Michelle and her team involved, which they did a great job in supporting the family and everything. So, you know, it's it, it, I, I've gotten to know the folks over there at Pancreatic Cancer Canada with our involvement with the World Pancreatic Cancer Coalition, which is, you know, all the groups in the world, you know, fighting pancreatic cancer. We usually get together once a year. We used to get together in person uh, prior to pandemic. And then the last couple of years, it's all been virtual. Yeah. Um, but I think this year, I think there is a, a schedule to get together. But Michelle is a, is really a, a wonderful person and she does a great job up there in Canada uh, you know, doing everything that they're doing. So it's just awesome to hear that name and, and know that you guys are supporting the efforts there with that group is just a, it's just awesome to know. And I, I love Michelle. She's, she's a she great, great a person. Ball of energy and always upbeat despite what everything was going on. And her team, by yeah. the way, is the same. And Ali and, and Julia and Amy that we work with so closely, they're, they've been outstanding and, and great partners for sure. Awesome. Awesome. So let's go back to the very beginning. So mom was diagnosed, you went through it, and then all of a sudden, this reality of what this reality becomes for a lot of families. Yeah. Was cycling something, I know you mentioned your brother had done something, um, but this sounds like, and, and this is kind of two-part here, so why the cycling but then also like, this is seven days. Like you're, so uh, excuse me for my lack of knowledge on the geography here. So it takes seven days to go around Lake Ontario on a bike. I, I, that's the obvious, right? Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, some people do it in five. Some people do it longer. It depends whether we came up, when we came up with seven, um, in the world of cycling, uh, there's a thing called a century ride. And for yep. our, my American friends, the hundred mile ride. That converts to 160 kilometers for us guys across the border. Uh, basically, what we broke it into was seven century rides, 700-mile rides, roughly, wow. um, rounding up, rounding down, uh, so that each day you're on the bike for six hours or so as you pedal your way around Lake Ontario. And in those days, it was easy. You just kept the lake on your right. And yeah. It was, uh, it was nice. We did it, we do it a, a clockwise uh, clockwise motion. Um we started on a Saturday, we'd, go, we'd finish on a Friday, and then people got the next weekend back. So where that all came from, uh, I had started cycling and doing some road cycling coming into this, but for fitness and a variety of other things. And cycling was one of those popular sports that a lot of people use for cancer research. And again, I give kudos to Ride to Conquer Cancer. There was also mm -hmm. a big ride in Toronto for the Ride for Hurt, uh, which would bring in thousands of people. We, we didn't want to create that kind of ride. We really wanted a a high touch, very personal ride. So um, we uh, we created something that would be a challenge that would require some dedication and some time. And, and we did it because, as you know, when people are in the battle uh, against pancreatic cancer, or frankly, almost any cancer, 
it, it's a struggle. It, it is hard and it changes their life. So what we wanted to do was create something that was a challenge that was doable, but would really get people to, to stretch themselves and do something that they hadn't done before. So really, unless you're a professional cyclist, you typically don't ride over a hundred miles a day for seven days in a row. Um, so this is something that we thought would, would just bring a challenge to people and uh, do something a little unique and, uh, Great, create awareness. The first couple of years, the, as you can imagine, fundraising was pretty slim, but we we did reach a lot of people through social media, you know, Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. And we, we were reaching hundreds of thousands of people and we got lots of inquiries and, you know, this, this typical question, why are you doing this? And part of it was just to let people know how dire the situation is when you get uh, diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And as you know, it's less than a 10% survival rate over five years, which is by far for the top cancers, the, the worst measure. So it needs, it needs help. Yeah. So, you know, I know Canada has a, a very, like cycling is very popular in Canada. Uh, maybe because I'm a runner, I know like cycling here in the United States, clearly during the pandemic, everyone had to be outside. Like being outside was the best thing to do, right? Or yeah. the safest thing to do, we should say. So here biking exploded. Anything outdoors in the last, you know, three years here in the United States just exploded. But prior to that, I mean, there, don't get me wrong. There's century rides and and being an athlete myself, I consider myself an a athlete in air quotes here on video. Um, you know, I know plenty of people who bike mountain bike, which has become extremely popular here in nor yep. the Northeast and throughout the country. I think as ski resorts realize like, hey, we're open in the summer and we have these mountains, let's send people flying down the mountains on bikes yeah. to make extra money. Yeah. Uh, but but then also I, I have a lot of friends also that um, you know do triathlons and do a lot of street biking, right? Like do on paved roads and stuff and we'll do the century rides. And you know, I have a good friend who um, he primarily just rides street bikes, like, but he does like Grand Prix races that happen, you know, once a year in our local area. And he does travel like regionally, but he will hop on his bike on a Saturday from our hometown and go all the way up to Vermont and back. And I think that's crazy, but people do that stuff, right? And he gets 150 miles in for the day. I mean, that's what you have to do here in Connecticut. You, you can go three states and get 150 miles down and back. But I, my point here is, I think it's been more popular biking as a whole in Canada for some time. Yeah, and actually, I would say it, it's been a regional popularity. If you look at our provinces, Quebec and in the Montreal and Quebec City areas in particular, it's been hugely popular popular for years. I don't know if that's because of their stronger European route routes compared yeah. to the rest of the country, but um, it's it's been big and it's slowly been spreading. Uh, I got into cycling. I mean, I've always been a biker of some degree, but as my kids got older, uh, my oldest son in particular really started falling in love with road cycling and he convinced this uh, heavy heavy uh, career-oriented uh, consulting guy to get back on the bike just before I was 50. And, you know, it just brought me back into good shape. And I just, I adore it. I, I As I was saying, I, I, I got in about five minutes before our podcast because it was such a beautiful day. I had dropped my car off and was doing an indirect ride home. And it was so nice. I did it a bit longer than I originally planned just because of the freedom, because of the, the outdoors. And today, a beautiful, sunny, warm day, not yet hot like Chicago and Detroit, but a beautiful, sunny, warm day. And just it's just a great way to be out, um, outside. And obviously excellent for fitness and all that good stuff too, because you're paddling and doing all that stuff for a long period of time. So 
it continues to grow. Uh, and as you said, the pandemic was huge uh, for everything, and maybe even worse uh, in the Canadian market because God bless America, you guys, when you start buying stuff, everybody throws it down there. And I understand why. So our, our parts and bike supplies and bikes themselves were in really short, short supply for the last couple of years. And we're hoping that in the next year or so, things start to uh, get back a little bit more level playing field. But uh, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, reached a new level of popularity through the pandemic as well. Yeah, I, I think our supply, I think now you can find bikes depending on the <laughs> bike. But I know for a while, for like two years, there was nothing to be found here. Yeah. Um, I think and people were you know, first come first serve. I know, I know many of friends, um, my son got into mountain biking. He was able to get a bike. He wanted a particular bike, but he ended up settling on a bike that was traded in. Um, but I know a couple other friends that do quite a fair bit of mountain biking, you know, they kind of, I wouldn't say settled, but they either upsettled, you know, on a bike that was maybe outside of their range that they didn't necessarily think they wanted to buy, but that was what was available. Or yeah, okay. they downsized and, you know, traded something in, you know, there was a lot of that going on, I felt. Um, but I think here in the States, like I, I know for a time, like even going into some of the big box retailers, like an REI or even now uh, Bass Pro Shop, which is now selling e-bikes, which is kind of funny. Um, you know, now, like I, I was just in REI and they have plenty of bikes. I, I'm not a bike guy, so I don't know, especially yeah, even Dick's. I was in Dick's not too long ago, like two weeks ago. And they had a lot of mountain bikes, um, okay. you know, mountain bikes. But again, I don't know. I'm not a mountain bike specialist. So, you know, are they the best bikes to buy? No, but there's bikes available for for kids and adults to get, which is kind of interesting because, yeah, for two years, you would walk into the bike section and all you would find is, you know, maybe a, a, an air pump and, you know, maybe some accessories and stuff, but no bikes yeah. at all, which is kind of fascinating. I want to get back. So. The event itself, so this always happens in, does it always happen in the spring, like early spring, or I guess we're, we're technically uh, in it, summer, so. It, um, in our first couple of years, we did it in early May, and part of that was my work schedule, and I referred to this other ride, the Ride to Conquer Cancer, a few times. It's always been run in the second weekend of um, June, and the Ride for Heart was the first weekend of June. And when I was starting this out, I just wanted to get ahead of them because uh, once people start doing the donation, it just takes a lot of the cancer attention and heart attention and donation funding away. So I just thought I'd try to get ahead of the curve and do it prior to the, those, those big events. Um, uh, unfortunately, in my early days, uh, I was just in conferences and other things, and I, I couldn't do it later in May. But after three years of doing it, the first week of May, effectively in cold and wet weather, because uh, let me tell you, uh, Lake Ontario holds a chilly temperature for a long period on both sides of the border. By the way. Uh, we moved it to the end. So we, uh, uh, for the last seven years, we have done it the weekend of uh, the Memorial Day weekend. We start on the Saturday. And then in, when we did around the lake prior to COVID, uh, one of my favorite times actually was on the Monday we would cross over the border and sometimes we were lucky enough to time it when they would be doing the memorial service to honor the guards and the people working in. And so uh, I used to cross into Oswego across this monstrous bridge and they had the, the, the border guards there and they would go through the, the process, which was just fabulous to watch. And uh, we would actually take a few extra minutes just to sit there and do that while they uh, did that before clearing customs, et cetera. So 
anyway, so that's how we do it. And it, I guess technically with that, there's a few years that it hasn't been seven days in May. Sometimes it's four days in May, three days in June, like this year. But anyway, it's still ahead of the other big events and uh, uh, it's prior to summer anyway. Yes. So you just mentioned something and I just brought Lake Ontario up. So you start in, where do you start? In uh, Toronto? Well, yeah, we started on the west side of Toronto. So uh, Mississauga or Oakville, two large centers gotcha. just west of Toronto. And we would ride through clockwise. So through Toronto and then this town's east of Toronto. And we'd make a stop about 100 miles on. Yep. And then the next day we would ride to Kingston, which is... Um, south, like uh, South just, Canada almost, just before yeah, the Yeah, it's just it on, like. the, on the lake as you move up towards uh, Thousand Island. And um, it, it, in Kingston, we actually found uh, there's a wonderful university called Queen's University there, and they are tied in with uh, some clinical trials. And yeah. there's a large cancer center there. And for a number of years, our funding went directly to the clinical trials group and specifically a pancreatic cancer trial. So we got to know the fine folks in Kingston at the clinical trials, now called the cancer trials group, Canadian cancer trials group. Um, and, and worked with them very closely. And it was it was great because we could stop and see them on the Monday morning before we headed out. It was a work day on our side of the border. And then um, people who needed a shorter day would do a hop across Wolf Island into Cape Vincent. And people who wanted to stretch out their ride because you know 100 miles a day isn't enough for some people. Uh, we'd go up to Ogdensburg and then circle back and we'd stay in Alex Bay. And then we'd ride down the east coast of Lake Ontario and we'd tuck around the south and uh, get into Rochester, Henrietta, and then Niagara Falls and then back home on the last day. So that was that was our old road. But once COVID hit and the borders were closed, we'd ride in the province of Ontario the last couple of years uh, just, just to make it easier. The Border crossings have still been kind of ugly. I know everything is settling down now, and yeah. perhaps next year we can go back around the lake. But uh, it, uh, it it it's just eh, COVID. <laughs> yeah, with the borders, I know that's been that's been a challenge. I know we experienced that with some of the the large races that we do. Right, like there was a lot of stuff in terms of who can get into the country last year, um, in particular, um, and until recently. I think until. I mean, I know the, I think just the other day, I think now they just took away like the COVID testing. So now you can come and go as, yes. you, as you were prior to the pandemic. That's, that's gotta be pretty wild though, to be able to go around the whole lake. Um, and, you know, I never assume on this podcast, but, you know, I, I think for me, my first experience with one of the Great Lakes was in Chicago and, and making that flight and landing in Chicago and actually seeing waves crash on the street and, the, you know, realizing that the Great Lakes are, are for us, because we're so close to the ocean, look a lot like the the uh, Atlantic Sound. Um, you know, they're not the, the lakes where you can see kind of the other end and, you know, there's, there's, there's no waves or no currents. And, uh, sometimes you can see the bottom, you know, if you go out there on a boat in the middle, like these are massive. So if no one, yeah. you know, if our audience listening, and this is where I, I think this is just such a cool thing here, Gord, because I love being outside and I've, like I said, I've been really blessed to, to be able to be on the great lake and see, but you know, hearing you talk about like riding around the great lake just gets me excited. And I just think the whole thing is just really awesome because you have the beauty 
of the natural environment and then the reason why you're doing it. And something that I, I want to get back to, but I do have another question about this whole experience. So you're, you're breaking this up, which I love into the hundred miles, the 700 mile rides. But now when you guys stop, and I'd love to hear like when this first began, cause I'm sure it's evolved a little bit. Are you guys camping out? I, I did see a picture and I thought I saw like bags on the bikes um, because I assume in the very beginning, like, I don't know, I, I'd love to know in that first year, how many people actually did it and like how you guys did it compared to this latest evolution. Naturally, I know there were some changes because of the borders and stuff, but I've got to imagine maybe it's evolved or maybe it hasn't. Yeah. Or it's changed dramatically, but, uh, we actually took a picture this year of the original six. So the first year, only six people I could convince to come around the lake. And it was quite an experience. Let me tell you. Um, uh, and a friend and some people from the family that also got into cycling and said, ah, sure. How, how hard can this be? We found out uh, we do stay in <laughs> hotels, um, budgetary motels, nothing, nothing yeah. particularly fancy. If you're ever in Alexander, they stay at the Otter Creek Inn. Those people were, outstanding to us <laughs> over the years. Uh, we haven't seen them since 2018, but, uh, uh, you know, we've, we found great towns with, with really wonderful things quite often tied into the comfort hotel chain, uh, choice hotel chain, uh, quality mm -hmm. and choice uh, comfort and that sort of thing. Um, and it, you know, our, our planning just, um, evolved year over year too. Uh, you talk about the size of these lakes and yeah, you're doing a, a trip of actually a little bit more than 700 miles. Um, one of the things these big open bodies of water have is a lot of wind. So uh, the cyclists hate too much wind. So we, we learned quickly how to manage around the different wind gust areas around the lake. I mean, there's always a day something blows in, but um, for the most part, we, we changed our route in the, each of the first three years to avoid some of the wind tunnels that we would hit and avoid Lake Ontario uh, right on the shore. We actually followed the Erie Canal route for a good chunk through uh, upper state New York. And uh, just because inland, it was just so much calmer. Um, I will also say, by the way, uh, a shout out to the people of upper state New York. It, when we do the ride, sometimes in the, over the years, we, we capped the full seven day ride at 30 people because we still wanted to close experience and it let our volunteers manage it. And our event's entirely volunteer red. Nobody's, nobody's paid anything. Everybody gives up a week of their time to, to make this thing work. Um, so we, when we're doing the ride, sometimes you're going to get groups of five to 10 cyclists riding together at a time, little thing they call a Peloton in, I found in upper state New York, almost to every driver, they would give us room. They would honk at us. They would cheer at us. They would, you know, some people just, pull over the side of the road ahead of us, wave us over. What are you doing? Why are you riding? Oh, this is awesome. Here's 50 bucks. I don't care about a receipt. This is just a, a great thing. And we found uh, all through upper state New York was outstanding and very welcoming to that. And everybody talks about the friendliness of Canadians. If we're going to get honked at negatively or buzzed by, uh, it happens more often on our side of the border, to be <laughs> perfectly frank, um, because people are like, I get out the road. I get stupid bikies. Um, we get that more on our side. I, I got to say uh, the American friends were great, very welcoming, really supportive, and just gave us a ton of respect on the road, which was uh, outstanding. I've missed that part of the ride since 2019. Uh, I'm looking forward to going back to a few places as well. I've got to echo that sentiment. Um, I think New York state gets a, a tough rap because you have New York city, which I think people, 
if you're not from, and, and this is even if you're not even from New York, but I, I was fortunate to spend some time up in upstate New York and uh, in, in Rochester, um, in the Buffalo area, Syracuse area. And it's probably some of the nicest people I've met. You know, I always say uh, on the podcast, like I've traveled to the, the United States quite extensively for the foundation. And, you know, people in the Midwest tend to be, uh, you know, there's this saying like uh, Minnesota nice, like they're so nice. Um, And that's how people should be. And that's how I was raised. I I was raised to, you know, love everyone and be nice to everyone. Say good morning to people when, when you meet, you know, when I, whenever I go running, if I'm in Central Park or if I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, if I make eye contact with someone, I'm going to say good morning. I think that's the thing we should do, right? Or yeah. if you're walking at night from a from a meeting and someone makes eye contact, hey, good evening or how are you? You know, just I think that's just common sense. I mean, that's how I was raised. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird. Maybe I'm different. But uh, you know, there there there's some really really amazing people up in uh, upstate New York, and I'm sure there's people like that in every part of the the country. Uh, but I think New Yorkers get kind of a bad rap because New York yeah. City can be a little abrasive, um, you know, and especially over the last two years, three years, and especially now with some of the stuff that's happening in New York City, that's not an indication of, of how people are. Uh, but there really is some really cool parts up there in upstate New York in the Rochester, Buffalo, right up, on, like you're saying, up on that, you know, upper northern peninsula on the lake, which uh, people are, are really, really genuinely sincere. Um you know, and, and how we should be, you know, I guess is, is how we should put it, right? Like everyone, it doesn't take that much energy to uh, to be kind to people. Like to your point, pull over as you see a group of cyclists or you see someone running, um, you know, versus beeping at them or trying to run them off the yeah. road, you know, which there's some nuts out there that try to do that. So you began with six. How did you find ways to scale? Um, and what, what did you have? So this year now, given kind of the restrictions and everything, and also I'm, I'm just fascinated by this because you guys are hundred percent volunteer and you mentioned that you have a job. So a lot of this kind of coordinates, cause this isn't like a one day event. This is seven days that you're doing this. So I guess you're using either PTO or vacation time. Um, so I, I guess the question would be, how did you scale? And, and before you answer that, what did you have this year? I don't think you mentioned that in terms of finishers. Uh, in terms of the full seven-day ride, we actually had over 30. And I never wow. count my family members in the, in the thing. And, but basically, we capped out. So we allow 30 people to ride with the few cork folks that uh, seem to do it every year. And then we took a waiting list and, and stuff like that. So um, that just allows our volunteers to be able to manage the group. It also allows us to track all the cyclists so that we, because you're doing such long rides, we want to make sure that who's up the front, who's at the back and where everybody is and everybody's safe, that sort of thing. The way we scaled, uh, we tried to do short rides mixed with the long rides. So, you know, hey, if you just want to wear, do pancreatic cancer awareness, if you just want to get out and do a short ride, for a couple of years, we tried a 20, join us for 25K, join us for, sorry, climbed. join us for something like 20 miles, join us for something like 50 miles, join us for something like 80 miles. And we created routes that intersected with what the longer riders were doing. Some people joined us for a full day uh, to a destination, and then some people joined us for a weekend. And that kind of mirrors what the ride to conquer cancer would do, for example. Um, so we tried to build some reputation that way and we could get numbers and we, we didn't put a cap on those so much we could, 
add, you know, 50 or 60 riders to join us for a chunk of it. And that worked okay. Um, it, what the ride evolved to and what the cycling community got to know it as after a while was that it was a distance road cycling event. Makes sense. So mm -hmm. over time, we dropped the, you know, 15, 20 mile rides and the 40, 50 mile rides and uh, concentrated on just the full events. Um, so in the last couple of years, it's been ride all seven days, ride two or three days, and you can choose which days, ride a single day, and everybody kind of joins. So we would have a different number of people on the route with us um, at any given day. So using this year as an example, I had 50 people join us on day one as we rode up to a town called Barrie, north of Toronto. I had 50 people join us on day seven. And then we had, uh, uh, in London, Ontario, which is a wonderful university, my alma mater, University of Western Ontario, they have a, uh, a tie-in with the health network there and another can pancreatic cancer center, uh, the Rick and Shelley Baker Center in London. We tied in with them and got a number of volunteers joining us for that day two. So we would have ups and downs. Uh, we, as a ride, we identify the seven day riders a little bit differently. They have a fancier kit and uh, jerseys and everybody else can get a different looking always purple obviously uh jersey for um the day or two or three that they ride and that's that's been our pattern obviously with covid in 2020 we introduced a virtual ride uh if people wanted to do it the first year was slow uh 2021 actually we had over 100 people join us from all over the place a couple uh, in alaska a couple in georgia a uh, number across the Canadian, we're actually coast to coast from Newfoundland to British Columbia on the thing. And we had a reasonable fundraising year. Uh, as world the world became more normal, our, our virtual pickup this year was a little bit less, but it was still nice to have people uh, follow us and cheer us on from a variety of cities across the country, et cetera. And still from Georgia, by the way. So we have a, a good fan down there. That's awesome. So you mentioned some numbers before. So if you had 30 runners do the whole seven to seven, but you are still picking up these runners on various days. So these runners that are choosing specific days to run are also fundraising for the mission as well for the cause. Yeah. Yeah. We would awesome. uh, ask, we have a, they have a registration fee to join us. And then uh, we asked, depending how far they ride, you know, if you're just doing a day, if you could read, it's at least $250. If you're doing a weekend or three days, do 500 to 700. If you're doing the whole week, uh, do 1500 as a minimum. But to be honest, uh, as people find out what you're doing, uh, the the donations are going up because uh, you're doing seven days at uh, 100 miles plus a day. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, right? So then uh, yeah. it, it, uh, gets people to do it we also became quite a sticky ride so once people did it once they may take a year off but then join us a year later so we had mm -hmm. a lot of return cyclists which was excellent so we knew that we had created sort of a a family feeling kind of event so people would come back and um they'd obviously have to go back to their donors to to raise funds etc um, and, and we had great support with that over the years and, and really delighted with how many people stuck with us over a period of time. So wild. Uh, I, 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 I'm just like in awe of this. This is awesome. And you guys are hundred percent volunteers. So you guys, you do this on your spare time. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You know, you've got a job. So this is a lot of work. I mean, I know how much work it is full time, but to ask, uh, you know, volunteers and, and, 
now my mind's spinning with like logistics. Like, you know, you, I think this is the other thing, just like we put on, I mean, putting on a road race, let's say a 5k, you're going from point A to point B and you kind of contain everything in that three and a half miles or 3.2 miles. Right. right. And even like a half marathon. Okay. 13, even a marathon, 26. When you're talking about 700 miles of land, you're talking about logistics, you're talking about like, you know, the, the, I mean, I know cycling, they're moving. I'm sure you have to have, you know, um, chase cars and backup cars with, you know, we were talking about parts before, you know, about, you know, I, I can't fathom. I mean, you probably have to have like enough tires for everyone just in case, right? Uh, spears upon spears and then uh, first aid, you know, God forbid something happens if someone bails or road rash or whatever that may, may happen. And then, you know, you mentioned before, this is six hours. I know in a marathon, you know, some people it does take them six hours to do the marathon, but there's nutrition every mile, right? So I, I know bikes do carry, you know, cyclists will carry like the little pouches or whatever, you know, on their bikes or on themselves with nutrition. But again, you're not just eating a banana and some Gatorade, you know, and it's also seven days. So at the end of the day, then there's recovery. Well, this is the other crazy thing that probably people don't think about like recovery, right? Um, you know, being sore, ice, pain management, nutrition, because that's a huge key in, in recovering here. And oh, by the way, you guys are not all professional athletes, so I'm sure there's there's probably a little bit more recovery. <laughs> but no, but this is like this is normal people doing amazing stuff here, and right. so I just hope our audience, you know, I know we're joking here a little bit, uh, having fun in it, but this is wild. This is amazing. Like you have ordinary people biking seven days, a hundred miles every day to understand all the things that go into this. And okay, so we haven't even, that that's the event, but now like, it's not like someone just shows up Gord on that first day and goes, Hey, I'm ready, man. Like they haven't done any training beforehand, right? Like it's probably not advisable to have someone show up that hasn't gone out on a century ride just yet. Right. Yeah, for sure. We, uh, again, things you learn over the years, but, uh, uh, I'll talk a little bit about the logistics, uh, basically in the last eight years, my wife has taken that over. I think it started out of frustration because I wasn't as focused on details as she would be. But yeah, uh, so as part of our package, we make sure everybody has a proper breakfast and we always make sure there's lunch. We also have a, a variety of snacks and uh, refreshments and stuff on the route. We set up, we basically have five vehicles that go with us and they, they leapfrog each other to make sure that at least every 25 kilometers every 15 to 20 miles, there's a rest stop of people who choose to take it that they can, you know, get a, get a bar, refresh their water, get some Gatorade or other type of electrolyte in their system. And then just keep uh, the calories coming in because on a, on a ride like this, depending on your size, I'm, I'm a larger guy. I'm like six foot two and somewhere over 200 pounds. I would burn almost 4,000 calories in one of these rides. So you have to keep doing it. And you can't do that day in and day out without a consistent uh, food intake, right? So you have to, you have to um, uh, manage all of that. So we, we, uh, we basically, unless it's a torrential rain day, we have picnic style lunches set up at every place. And the, we always have a couple of vehicles to go for that. You talked about spare parts. We do always have a vehicle that is dedicated to maintenance and spare parts, tubes, tires, 
obviously pumps and just little things like that to keep things going. Big events, uh, if a bike really suffers and breaks, uh, we try to get the cyclist to a bike shop to see if they can get it repaired. We can't do everything. And it's every year there's usually something that happens. Um, but yeah, the logistics are fascinating. And then you also have to make sure the hotels are ready to take a group that needs 25 to 35 rooms, that uh, there's restaurants that are ready for us. We don't cover the dinners as part of our things, but the cyclists, even though they're riding together for seven, they tend to like each other. So they like to go out for dinners on groups. So we usually give restaurants a heads up that this could happen and that they have to do it. So yeah, the, the logistics are, are, are interesting. And we, we definitely grew with that over time to understand what's required to, to do that. Uh, the mapping, we typically try to have, you know, explored the area beforehand. So we know that the roads are safe, that, that there's easy things, that the roads are smooth ish. Uh, but if you guys, you're in Connecticut, you have the same thing. You've got this thing called winter. So come the middle of spring until the middle of fall, it's construction season, right? And yeah. I can't, not every uh, every group tells me when they're going to close a road. So yeah. very often when we get to a spot, it's like, oh, road's closed, got to do an audible. So we check maps and make a route adjustment. And hopefully everybody stays safe. We go through, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting logistics challenge, but it's it's got kind of smooth and, Actually, uh, pre-COVID, we had decided to change our route uh, and and in, in upper state New York, get into the Finger Lakes dis- district yeah. just because it's so beautiful with those oh, wonderful lakes. And uh, so we dropped down a little bit from Lake Ontario and it's very hilly through there, but we put some brand new routes together and it was going to be rolled out in 2020. People were so excited and then COVID. So I still have not ridden by modified routes. So that is in my uh, things to do with a small group of people we're going to make our way down to Geneva, New York, and do our ride in from um, Oswego, another great town in upstate New York, yeah. uh, into Geneva. And then we go Geneva to Henrietta, uh, which is just north of Rochester. Um, and, and that those two days of riding were really spectacular. I was looking forward to that adjustment to the road, but uh, it uh, was has not been able to happen. So maybe one day wow. says I can try it again. You'll get there, and and I'd love to hear about it once you get there. It's, it sounds amazing. I, I, I just uh, I got one question here that I wrote down. Maybe our audience at home is thinking this, and, and for those watching, um, if this gets up to YouTube, is so to hear you say all this. I mean, this is a lot. This is a lot that 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 you've done here, which uh, is amazing, and it's awesome. What drives you? Well, uh, it, it's it's become this the little ride that could, right? So when I talk about six people going around the lake, I think the very first year on our event, we raised less than $20,000. And these are in Canadian dollars. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to go with what was at par and all that sort of stuff yeah. back in the day. The, the, some people refer to it as the dollarette because we're not quite a full dollar anymore. But anyway, uh, the second year, we, we got a few more people joining us for the full week. We had better with our single day events. We got the $40,000 and then, you know, then we got to $75,000 and uh, it, it just kept on getting better and better every year. And, and the last, uh, even in 2021, which was the full COVID year and just virtual, we still raised almost $200,000, which was really uh, impressive and people did incredible things. And this year will be over 300. So our, our event to date will be roughly around 1.4 million that we've raised over the, the 10 years. And really it's, um, we've got to know a number of people. So uh, we, we met 
a, a fine lady named Debbie in Cape Vincent, New York, who worked at the general store. And we found out that she had lost both her parents to pancreatic cancer. And uh, she heard about us on Facebook, I believe, and that we were coming through and coming through Cape Vincent on our route. And she, the first year we met, she came out to, to, to meet us basically and stopped us. And, and then she became a regular, regular stop for us. She would do little fundraisers on the side and, she would do it. And then uh, uh, within the same year or so, there was a family called the Douglas family. Uh, Mark uh, was a pancreatic cancer patient. And he and his family lived outside of Waterdown. And they would drive a couple of hours to meet us in Oswego as we um, made our way down the, the coast of Lake Ontario. And we got to see Mark. And unfortunately, three years after we met Mark, he, he lost his battle. And there's a number of people that this has happened to. So there was a young lady in Toronto named Robin who found us early in her second year and she helped us with some promotion and stuff. And she lost her battle in 2016. If you look at our logo now, we've got the, the, the big number seven, of course, and then you've got the bike chain, which looks like it's traced after Lake Ontario. Fortunately, it also looks like a pancreas. Who knew that that was in the, the uh, we've, we have a couple of other symbols. So we added Robin uh, to thank Robin for all her efforts and obviously wish her well on her next path. And uh, then uh, Mark Douglas was a musician. And uh, so the, we added the music notes over time so that uh, the Robin was singing so that Mark was being remembered. And then uh, we, we've added that to our logo. So if you ask me what drives me, it's that under 10% um, survival rate. And as Michelle uh, would say, it hasn't changed in 40 years. Things are moving in the right direction. We've seen great progress in research. We've seen really increased attention come towards it, but it's still a long battle. And wouldn't it be great if like prostate cancer, like breast cancer, like um, colon cancer, the survival rate would be the 90% instead of the fatality rate. So that's kind of what drove us to do it. it it's just we wanted to see the progress and uh, uh, it, it just what kept us focused on uh, moving forward. So powerful. Um, and I'm sure Gord, your mom is probably super proud from above you know, I, watching all the great I things hope. you're doing. She, ironically, she hated cyclists on the road. She was one of those drivers that when she saw a cyclist, she'd be like, oh my goodness, get off the road. How can I pass? Uh, but despite that, I think she still would have been happy with the uh, what we've achieved and, and the awareness. And it's interesting that you you find folks found us because we are still relatively a small event. But actually, if you do a search on pancreatic, pancreatic cancer and cycling, seven days in May pops up now as the as the largest event. So yeah, uh, maybe Google is geography specific. I don't know, but it, it is no. interesting to me that uh, we've been able to uh, kind of create that association. And the, the other part I'll say to that, so it's been 11 events that we've organized and we did make 2022 the final event that Jan, my wife and I are going to organize this because as you said, it does take a lot of energy and a lot of time. But the good news is we found a group of people who are going to pick up the mantle and take it forward going on. And, and we hope, you know, inject new energy and try new things that we either couldn't succeed at or whatever, and they're going to make it happen. So we're just... Right now, we're in the process of, you know, seeing how our books cook for our final fundraising total of this year. And then come July, we'll officially hand the helm over to these fine folks and they will continue the legacy the seven days has started going forward, continuing to work really closely with Pancreatic Cancer Canada and 
hopefully they can make it as successful, if not more so, and that more awareness and funds can get raised for it and keep the uh, the legacy of seven days alive because it's kind of it's, it's kind of stuck with the cycling community up here. And we're proud of that too. So is this something that, um, and I don't know if you can tell the audience, but so something that you guys will still actively participate in, you guys just won't worry about the logistics and the marketing and all the stuff that you've kind of done throughout the years. Uh, uh, there's a couple of brothers that are part of the group taking it over Jack and Darcy and Jack's been a rider with us for a couple of years. And Darcy joined us this year as one of our volunteers who uh, you know, took a week of his time to help make things successful. They were, he was a great addition, obviously, to the, the team. I have told them uh, for 2023, I personally won't participate because if Jan and I showed up, they're going to start turning to us for questions and all that stuff. And it's like, no, 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 you got to let the, the new crew do it. We will support, we will do a lot of things in preparation. I'll help them in the behind the scenes for sure, but uh, I won't do the ride in 2023. I'll do a virtual ride. And then after that, we'll see uh, what happens. I'm certainly not walking away from it. We'll, we'll do it. I like my kids, my brother-in-law, his kids, everybody has been active in this over the years. So it's too much for us to just say, Nope, we're done. We'll walk away, but uh, we'll, we'll take a step back and start to enjoy May for other things for a little bit. And then, I, yeah. I, I know I'll, I'll ride it again at some point. I just, you know, I just need a year to kind of decompress and, and let it go and let these guys make it their own. I I hear you when you say that, Gord, because uh, <clears throat> for so many years I had certain dates that I just was never home. And then the pandemic right. came and I was home on these dates and I was like almost in, uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like that first weekend in May. <laughs> Um, right. I was always in Nebraska for the Lincoln marathon and I, it was like seven years. I wasn't home and I was like, wow, I guess I'll go out and mow the lawn and put out some mulch. <laughs> um, you know, and then, then the fall it's like, whoa, like, yeah. It, but you know what though? Um, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, you know, it, 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 I, I'm just amazed at all that you've done and, you know, you, you're very humble in the sense that you were like, well, I don't know if that's a lot, but that's a lot of money, man. You guys have raised a lot of money. Uh, being a hundred percent volunteer, I know from reading, um, all the money has gone directly to research, which is just phenomenal. And as you and I were talking, you know, before I think we hit record, you know, this disease is really complex, but I think there's a simple solution. And I think we can all agree on this is we need more money. More money. And Early detection, as you said, is so critical because yeah. it's so hard to notice this particular cancer, how, how it's absolutely. But the more money that we can raise and put towards research, I mean, this thing can change really quick overnight. I mean, we've seen this. Yeah. I mean, look at what with COVID, and I and I'm not here to debate the science of it, but there was a lot of money put in, and there was a lot of things happen in a positive way in a very short period of time. Naturally, things evolved and things have changed in the sciences, but that's that's science. It's always right. evolving or people are always learning, but you need money in order to do those things. Um, and that's the one thing that's, I guess for us here in the States, I get uber frustrated with that because I'm like, damn, man, like, wow, like look at what they did in, in like a, a year, you know, like whatever it was, warp speed or whatever it was yeah. called, whatever administration, but like, how come we can't do that for pancreatic cancer? <laughs> You know, uh, oh, we need, we need, you know, 500 million, you know, that's the magic number or 50 billion, you know, but we can do that and we can change so many lives. Um, so, but, you know, and I, I think we said this off the air when we were talking too, is like, it's so inspiring to me 
to interview a group that's been doing this for as long as we have, kind of in the same space in another part of the, the world. And as I said, the more groups that we have in this space and the more people that that rise up and help raise awareness and help raise funds, the quicker we get to that, you know, that and that that number uh potentially and, and also creating change across the board. So it's just inspiring and and I just Thank you for for giving us the opportunity to have you here on the podcast to share what you're doing. I've got two things left for you here. Um, one is a question, and then the second one is I'd love to share where our audience. As I said, we we have some people we've we've done events in Canada through our CrossFit program, through our Push Pull program. So I know we have listeners from all around the, the world. We have guests from all around the world. So we'd love to share that information. People can connect, even the people in upstate New York, or if someone wants to go from Georgia up to New, up to Canada to do the event, love that. Before I get there, though, my last question here, and this is always uh, a loaded question. There's no right or wrong to this. Given your experience and, and what you've experienced personally and what you've done over the last you know, 10 years with the ride, how do you define the term pancreatic cancer? How do I define the term pancreatic cancer? I've never been asked that question before. Um, well, obviously, uh, to me, it, it, it manifests as a tumor on the pancreas, which um, <laughs> there's so many subtleties with that, whether it's in the head of the pancreas or the tail of the pancreas, and make that differentiation because if it's in the head, you can often do the surgery to get it removed. And if you're fortunate enough, you can get the margins out of the uh, of the pancreas. And the pancreas being part of the gastrointestinal chain, it, it the, 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 the nastiness of this is the connection with the liver, the connecting with the kidneys, and uh, obviously the abdominal fatty area uh, that's in there because the pancreas is so integral to everything in there. So any tumor that uh, sits inside the pancreas is there. Um, and actually, in your question, I, if you read through the David Bowie, what happened with him, uh, they talked about him being a liver cancer, but he also had cancer of the pancreas. And uh, it, once it gets into that that area, it's, it's almost impossible to stop. And, you know, you, you, there's been so many famous people, you know, Patrick Swayze, Steve Jobs, probably the most famous who tried his broccoli treatment that didn't work so well, but the, uh, th that have had it and, and they're powerless. Luciano Pavarotti, um, uh, and I'm sorry, there's a couple of more recent that I just, uh, had slip out of my head, but it doesn't matter who you are. It is, um, it doesn't care if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're healthy, if you're unhealthy. Uh, yeah, there are some tendencies about smoking and uh, overweight that some people have got it with. But as you talk, there's also genetic factors and completely random factors uh, that cause people to get this disease. And uh, if you get a tumor in your pancreas, first of all, it's very hard to detect. And uh, the symptoms are very mild up front. And by the time it's detected, it's typically at stage four and as soon as you're cancer in stage four, we, we know what that means. So, yeah, you know, non-benign tuner on the non-benign tuner on the pancreas is how I would define it. But the the impact of the whole body is just a uh, devastating thing. I would love to see survival rate get up twelve percent in the next couple of years and fifteen percent. That's uh, sort of the things that kind of drive me to stay involved with this. It's powerful stuff, and 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 I hope uh, we get there. But I do know this: with yeah. people like you, families uh, that are investing their time 
as volunteers to uh, to help raise awareness and put on these events. We're going to get there a lot quicker. We just need more of you guys. We need yeah, we need to right. we need to replicate you, Gord, and your family, and then like do it tenfold um, and have these events over every Great Lake. How ma- How crazy would that be? Here's an idea for you, Gord. Yeah. We're bra- this is where like these great ideas come from. Do this on every Great Lake. I don't know if you've looked at Lake Superior. That would, that would be a two week ride for sure. Let me just. <laughs> it's a big lake. <laughs> I think we could get some people to ride for two weeks though, right? Like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, so. I guess we'd have to figure some logistics out, but there's an idea for us. Yeah. We did have a small, a splinter group that didn't want to do the big group ride one year, do Lake Erie. And uh, so while we were doing Lake Ontario, they did Lake Erie, Lake which Erie. was great. They still did fundraising for us, which was awesome. Got That's to cool. see Erie and Cleveland and all those funky places, but uh, it was also very cool. Cool. There might be an idea in there, Gord. Last thing here. Audience listening at home, um, someone in Canada, someone somewhere else, they want to learn more. Where's the best place to find out more about the event and what you guys are doing uh, in 2023 and also here in 2022? I know you mentioned Facebook a bit. so Yeah, we definitely have a, a Facebook page of a number seven, days in May, one word. Uh, our website is uh, the number seven, days in May.com. We're on Instagram as well. Uh, we have a club on Strava. For people who are in the cycling community, Strava is a big social media environment so you can join our club on Strava. Actually our donation pages will be open through the end of June and if you go to our website there is a donate button and it can take you to the cyclists on there that you can make a donation to. Uh, you alluded to this before by the way one of the, one of the founding principles uh, of our ride was that we did want every nickel that people donated to go to the fund so it's not an inexpensive ride to join. Like the cyclists who participate have to pay hundreds of dollars. And we have great sponsors like Ernst & Young and a little company that I used to co-own with a friend of mine uh, called Focus Services. And we've had other great people who give us money to help us operate the ride. Uh, what, what that's basically allowed us to do is that if you donate $100, $100 goes to the Pancreatic Cancer Canada Foundation and they direct it to their Pank One or their other research areas that they focus on. So there's no administrative costs in that. So when I say we've, we've raised over $300,000 this year, that will entirely go into uh, pancreatic cancer research and uh, goes right to the fund. We don't even touch the donation. Uh, pancreatic Cancer Canada actually hosts our donation pages. And uh, there's no there's no flow through. We don't we don't take a skim off the top, and it is entirely a hundred percent volunteer oriented. Everybody donates their time. It's it's just incredible. We're really proud of that. Uh, and Jack Darcy and team are promising to keep that going forward. So it'll keep on keep on doing it. It's awesome. I, I love hearing that. And uh, you know, as we I think I mentioned, you know, it's it, the world's in a weird place right now. <laughs> yeah. Sure but is. I always say, go to it, go to a marathon, go to one of these charity events, and you'll be humbled at at not only people's perseverance but humanity and and it's how true. people truly are, right? Uh, donating time and energy, you know, to help so many amazing causes. Clearly, we are both selfish in the in the sense that we would love to see everyone do something for pancreatic cancer, but there's so many amazing causes, and uh, you know, just go out there, you know, get off social media. Uh, put your phone down and just open yeah. your eyes at one of these events and, and you'll you'll have kind of a, a real touch of reality of what real life is really quick. My uh, my favorite part of the ride, by the way, is on the last day as we roll into this big park in Oakville and you see all the riders who've been doing it, even the one or two day riders who joined us at the end of the ride and the seventh, everybody's giving each other hugs and 
there's lots of tears and uh, you talked about everybody's so proud of their accomplishment, but they're also so excited to be with a group of like-minded people who have given up so much of, you know, their vacation, for example, for uh, a week of their vacation to do this run. And just the, the camaraderie and the, the uh, mutual respect that flows. And you're right, it does, it re-cements your belief that, you know, people are generally good, good folks. And despite all the craziness in the world, uh, there's good things being done by some nor- normal, ordinary people. And it's, it's very uplifting to me. Powerful stuff, Gord. Thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and for all you're doing for the pancreatic cancer community. Well, my pleasure, Dino. Real nice to uh, to meet you virtually. And uh, one of these days, maybe I'll get to one of these conferences and actually get a chance to shake your hand and give you a hug and see how the things are progressing. And maybe that that survival rate will keep inching up every year. And we, you know, see that progress. We'll keep pushing. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode and watching an episode of the Project Purple podcast. If you like what you hear or saw today, feel free to like this episode, follow us wherever you listen to podcasts or watch us on YouTube, follow us on our YouTube channel. That's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple podcast. Until next time, please be safe. Mm